Paratooth Radio is a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts on KillerPodcast.com. The views and opinions of this show are directly those of the hosts and its guests. It does not reflect the opinions of its affiliates or its sponsors. Christian and non-Christian paranormal investigators. They have two different views. And it seems as if neither of them can ever agree on anything. So what happens... When a mainstream view of the paranormal crosses paths with the Christian view, <laughs> something epic. This is Paratroop Radio. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to a brand new episode of Paratruth Radio. My name is Justin. And I'm Eric. And today we've got another amazing episode for you. We're going to be talking to Seth Breedlove from Small Town Monsters. For those that don't know what Small Town Monsters is, it's a production company out of Ohio that uh, does specifically uh, uh, documentaries on cryptids. And I've seen a couple of their movies. I think they're really well done. Eric, I'm sure you've watched some of their videos as well, correct? Yep. <clears throat> so we're going to go to the line with Seth Prelove. Seth, welcome to Paratruth Radio. How you doing? Uh, I'm, I'm good. I'm tired, but I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I feel your pain. So, uh, before we get started, I wanted to give you a chance to tell everybody a little bit about yourself and a little bit about small town monsters. Um, myself, I'm boring. Uh, small town monsters is a film (laughs) production company. Uh, I started in 2014 that makes, uh, documentaries about, uh, paranormal encrypted subjects, uh, around the United States. Uh, and we are completely independent. And we do it all in house, so that's that's the short version of who we are. All right. Well, <clears throat> what was it that sparked this idea? Uh, like, and then how did you go about um, really deciding to establish yourself as this company? And you know, how did you, you reach out to your people? You ultimately become your fans. Um. Yeah. I mean, we. So STM started um, out of. Uh, uh, an interest I had in like Bigfoot at the time, uh, which would have been so. So originally, STM was a, a, a small town monsters was a book proposal that I put together all the way back in 2013, and I sent it around to a bunch of different uh, publications, publishers, and they all rejected it. Um, and about a year passed, and in 2014, some friends of mine. Um, said they wanted to collaborate on something. And my idea was to take one of the cases that was originally part of my book proposal and, and turn it into a movie. And that movie ended up being uh, our first movie, which was called Minerva monster, which is this really, um, I mean, basically like a no budget. I mean, we made the whole movie for like 500 bucks, Um, but we, we made the movie and it did uh, well enough that we could, uh, flip the money from that into the next movie and then just continue to make more and more 
projects and um and you know every year the company like evolves uh the focus and you know like what we're really looking like as a production company this year or last year i guess um you know we really started putting more effort into youtube um up up till now we've been sort of a typical uh tiny independent production house we make documentaries and they go to our distributor and then they get sent out to all the major vod platforms but that landscape that indie film landscape is becoming a uh, like an evolving nightmare every year and it gets harder and harder to exist um on those platforms and to, to grow your audience that way so we have over time um you know every year it just we we have to figure out well what's the focus this year um early on we made two, one movie a year and then it became two movies a year and then it became three movies a year and then this this year when it's all said and done we will have released six movies through 1091 um and that's fine like you have to work really hard to to have an independent business and anyone who owns an independent business knows that but I don't see that letting up at all. So we're, we're really starting to focus more and more on YouTube and um, you know, we have four titles, four films coming out next year, which will be sort of that typical, you know, independent film distribution model, but we will be releasing um, three different longer form series on the YouTube channel. And the first one actually kicks off tomorrow for our uh, youtube channel members and that one's called bigfoot project the bigfoot project and um so it's just a it's a it, it evolves every year every year becomes uh something completely different from the year before i think by like 2023 our main focus will be youtube and the films will be something where we can really invest a ton of time and effort into making a single film or maybe two two films per year and it'll kind of go back to where we started with the you know youtube becoming the main distribution platform for where we exist going forward i don't know if i answered your question that might have been the most rambling <laughs> no no yeah you did great you did fine <laughs> So doing doing the research for these documentaries and and going out in the field and you know doing the research on the on the ground, um, have you become more of a believer or less of a believer in these creatures that we tend to talk about so much? Uh, it probably depends on which particular creature or or case or whatever that we're talking about. Um, when I started STM. Uh, and I made Minerva Monster, I was at like 95, 96% these things existed. And then I swung so far to the to the other end that when we made On the Trail of Bigfoot in 2019, I was at like 30%, 20% that they existed. And then I saw one a few weeks ago, a Bigfoot in Minerva fittingly. Wow. And so now I'm now I've swung back the other direction. Uh, and so when it comes to Bigfoot, I know they exist, or I'm fairly confident they exist. I say I'm at like 99% that they exist. Um, okay. The sighting I had was really fleeting, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm confident they exist. And then, you know, when it comes to UFOs, I know UFOs exist. That's a thing. And then um, everything else kind of 
rises and falls depending depending on you know my mood or whatever on any given day i also know the flatwoods monster was real i'm confident flatwoods monster was a real thing okay well i'd imagine you didn't just wake up one day and think oh i like monsters let's do stuff about monsters and you know i'm sure it's a gradual process so how long have you actually been interested in cryptids um and at what point did you finally say you know what i need to write a book on this before of course the films yeah i uh i I actually didn't get into this until later in life so it was probably in my mid-20s um you know maybe like 15 years ago that i got into to cryptids and and the paranormal and uh and bigfoot especially like bigfoot and ufos were what i really was into starting out and um there was a gradual process. It, basically what happened was um, I worked and lived in a very small town called Bolivar. And uh, I'd grown up there. I lived, you know, spent, spent my, my parents owned a house with a huge forest behind it. And uh, I spent tons of time as a kid gr- growing up in the woods. And, um, you know, when I was a kid, I had never heard a, a word about Bigfoot. Um never never knew anything about it didn't didn't you know didn't know anyone that claimed to have seen it, any of that kind of stuff um so in like you know in, in my mid-20s i kind of gained uh i guess like a, a side interest in it um it was like a fun little hobby and then i started talking to people or hearing stories about people who had claimed to have seen bigfoot uh, outside of oliver and I thought that was wild because I'd spent so much time in the woods as a kid and I never experienced anything. And so I, I knew where these sightings were happening. They were all kind of concentrated around this one road on the outskirts of town, um, which in Ohio, there's what they call the, the Sasquatch Triangle, which Don Keating, who was a, a really uh, well-known Ohio Bigfoot researcher back in the day, Don kind of coined that phrase and and helped define what the Sasquatch Triangle was. This road would have been on the northern tip of that triangle. And so um, I started going down to that road and driving around uh, during the day and and at night and talking to people back there. And I started hearing more and more about sightings that were happening back there going all the way back to the 1970s. And that was kind of where I first invest, quote unquote, investigated a Bigfoot story. And from there, I just, um, I guess I, I have this like mental defect where I can't just have a hobby without trying to involve myself in it as like a, a some sort of career pursuit. Like I used to want to write comic books because I read comic books and that kind of stuff. So, um, <laughs> so I, you know, I got really into, into the, uh, the subject of Bigfoot and, and I started seeing, uh, where my interest lied or laid at the time, which was with, um, you know, I grew up in a small town and I was curious about how small towns and rural communities are impacted by the stories that grow up and the culture that grows up around these sightings, like unusual sightings. And so that was what really got me invested in, in the idea of small town monsters initially was this idea, I guess, of, um, making a film series that would explore not just like spooky stories, but how those spooky stories evolve over time and, uh, you know, impact the, the communities where they take place. Cool. 
So Eric and I both grew up in Ohio. Eric still lives in Ohio. I live in North Dakota now. Um, and I, I think one of the biggest things growing up is, in our our particular cases, we do live in a state where there are certain cryptids that are um, told about and talked about from time to time. Bigfoot, um, the melon heads, uh, frog man. So it... it I think it really depends on where you live to, to if it sparks an interest for you. And it has to be that certain type of person as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The one that I was really excited that you guys <laughs> did was the, uh, the Ruguru, the skinwalker, mm-hmm. the, the howl of the Ruguru. So tell us a little bit, cause that's your guys' most recent film, right? That you released. Uh- we have we on the trail of Bigfoot the the discovery comes out next Tuesday but yeah the most the most recent release is is Rougarou. um yeah Rougarou was one where um I had you know we we do these regional monster trilogies and and we we made um, Appalachian monsters uh, with Invasion on Chestnut Ridge and the Mothman of Point Pleasant and something else which is oh flatwoods and then we made um monsters of the midwest with momo and bray road beast and terror in the skies um and so the next trilogy was supposed to be southern monsters um and southern monsters began with the mothman legacy and then went to the mark of the bell witch and i those are both like you're hard pressed to count the west virginia as southern to some to some some degree right um (laughs) But I wanted to to do one of those stories that felt like deep south, and so it made sense to me that we would go to Louisiana, and um, you know when you've got Louisiana, you're either going to do like Honey Island Swamp Monster or you're going to do Rougarou, and um, so we chose Rougarou, and I I thought um, I thought we would have a very very difficult time making that film because. Um, you know, for for the most part, the television shows that have focused on Rougarou kind of recycle the same like two to three witnesses on each one. So I I tasked our uh, research girl Heather Mosier with kind of putting together a list of people before we even de- decided on if that would be our next movie, and um, okay. put put together a list of people. And she put together a really long list of people that we could interview. So I knew that that there were enough witnesses that hadn't you know, spoken that, that we could get in involved in the movie. And what really drew me in, you know, the Rougarou is whatever. I, honestly, when it comes to like this cryptid, these cryptid subjects, the dog man stuff does not grab my interest. Um, I, I've made two movies about it, Rougarou and Bray Road. And I'm about to make a third called American Werewolves. But of the of the subject matter, it is not like the one that I that I gravitate toward, uh, you know, the, the quickest. I really have to get emotionally invested in the witness stories or or with Rougarou. What I got emotionally invested in was the um, I guess the idea of like the Rougarou legend disappearing just as the coastal land loss is hitting Louisiana and, and how those two things kind of meld and, and go together. Um, so that was what drew me to that story. And then um, we filmed it. We STM, the way we, the way we make our movies is very like haphazard, which makes sense. If you know me, like that's just how I live my life. And um, 
we, you know, we went down to Louisiana, we shot our interviews, we shot our, all the interviews, we came back, shot all our, shot, shot all our B-roll, all that kind of stuff. And then as I'm sitting there trying to put the movie together, I realized like it, it was a really strange mix of varying types of witness accounts and none of them blended. None of them really went together or, or seemed to speak about even the same thing. And, um, mm. I ended up calling Heather in and Heather and I sat down and went through the rough cut, a rough story cut of the movie and story outlined and then scripted the entire movie over the course of like a week. And that was where we really came at it from this idea of uh, splitting the movie off into sections that kind of explored all the various uh the various types of Rougarou, you know, you've got like the guardian and, and the, um, uh, the hitchhiker. And there's all these different variations of what the Rougarou is, how it functions, what its purpose is. <clears throat> and if you really look at the history of Louisiana is so tied into the immigrants that settled mm -hmm. the, the, the state. And, um, you know, we just kind of like figured out a way that, that you could learn. We, we basically made a movie that's as much of a history lesson as anything. If you're, if you're able to sit down and really pick at those threads uh, and it really, you know, details who settled that state and how the Ruguru legend has evolved and changed over time based on, you know, who might be telling it at any given, at any given time. Um, <clears throat> and then visually going into the movie, we had known from the start that we wanted to make a movie that was very influenced by like found footage and, um, you know, so, so I'm, that's not my favorite genre, but it was something we had not really fully embraced yet in an STM movie. I think Bray Road Beast might have, there were sections in Bray Road Beast that had a found footage feeling to them, but, but on the whole, you know, I mean, Bray Road starts out with recreations that are very influenced by like my love of eighties horror movies before it segues into the found footage stuff. So we wanted to make a movie that felt like a found footage horror film, especially when you get into those recreations. So those two things, multiple things went together and, and we ended up with uh, the Howl of the Rougarou, which eventually uh, found a new title right before its release um, as Skinwalker, The Howl of the Rougarou, mostly because the distribution company didn't think just the title Rougarou would sell. So, okay. <laughs> I mean, I guess I can kind of see that, you know, Skinwalker is <laughs> such a bigger name that most people understand. And, you know, yeah. um, so you said that after you were kind of piecing Rougarou together, uh, yeah. you ended up having to step back and script it out. Did you skip that process in the beginning just for the heck of so, it? Did you write it and then rewrite it? No, I mean, what we, what I do, the way we make our movies typically is I do what I call a story cut, which okay. is like, I basically just take everything and throw it in the timeline and tweak you know, individual scenes around enough. So I understand this is, this is the flow of the movie. It's basically writing a rough draft in an edit. Mm -hmm. And then I go in and I polish and then I go back and I polish again and I polish again until it's, it gets to the point that it's done. Um, the writing of the films, typically I'm doing on my own as I'm editing. And that can be, that can either be the story cut or it might be, uh, the second cut after the story cut, which is still really rough, like insanely rough. Um, that is traditionally where I'll do, do the writing. Uh, in this case, yeah, we had to, we had to write as we were, 
putting the movie together because the movie made no sense or the flow made no sense. Yeah. And, and, and there's cheats you can do to make those things. Uh, you, you chapter markers and chapter breaks are really easy to like cheat. Sure. Uh, you, you just, all of a sudden you have a, a title card pop up that says guardian or something. And then you're going into that. We didn't want to do that with this movie. There are title cards, but they're, they're based around the individual witness experiences, okay. not, not the change in, in the stories. Um, I guess thrust at that point. Um, so this one was definitely very different and it was also very different because Heather wrote large chunks of it. So we sat, sat down together, came up with the outline for the movie. And then I basically said, go write this. And Heather put together these very, very extensive narrated sequences that I then had to chop down based on, you know, like a movie like this, if we had done what Heather wrote, um, it probably would have been like 5,000 words in terms of narration, uh, as opposed to like 2,200, which is where it ended up. Um, but those 5,000 words, you've got to find visuals to include during those moments that are being narrated. And on a movie like this, the, the visuals would have been, they would have gone well beyond what we can afford. <laughs> uh, so we, we, you know, like she, but she did such an awesome job of, of pulling all these different, elements of like folklore and mythology and you know local local legends and and witness stories and so it was easy actually and that's a weird thing to say but it was easy to, to cut things out because there was always something else there that you could just say okay well this is like you've got like five stories here i can chop three of these and leave two in and you still get a really good you know um indication of of what the individual uh nationalities bring to that that story in the folklore of that story i know like whenever whenever i'm writing a script or even when i'm editing it's always i like to have more it's always easier to cut it down than mm -hmm. it is to have not enough and try to figure out how to fill in the gaps oh yeah you know? yeah this movie could have easy been like an hour and 45 minutes um, okay wow as a, i mean it, it would have been a, i think it's something i think even with end credits it's only like 71 minutes it's just shorter okay. film for us but it, it could have been a lot longer um you know, if we had had maybe the, the budget to really throw at it, right. But, you know, we're always, there, there's always constraints with STM. I mean, we, we run a Kickstarter at the beginning of the year and that money has to last us for the entirety of the year. Well, when you're making four or five movies in a year, that money inevitably runs out before you've finished those projects. And then you're just kind of like throwing what money you've got at, at the project. And this right. one, even having said that, even, this movie still probably costs like $18,000. So, which okay. for us is like, a, wow. that's a bigger budget movie as a, yeah. you know, something like the, on the trail of series has been so great because the money that is spent on those typically is just travel costs. Um, so something like on the trail of Bigfoot, the journey only costs like seven grand to make because it's a very scaled back, you know, it was, it was almost like a travelogue, um, you know, but, but this movie, you're, you're really trying to, get as many of the uh of the visual elements in place as you can at the at the absolute highest quality you can achieve it um and that's i think that's one of the reasons why we want to focus on youtube and less on films going forward not less on films but we really want to be able to put like a ton of effort into each movie each single movie and over time you know like some of the series might gravitate to youtube like i think on the trail of ufos will gravitate to youtube eventually and 
we're already going to do an on the trail of Bigfoot series, mini series on YouTube next year about the Chestnut Ridge. So, um, you know, each I, I'm thinking going forward, the legend movies will stay as films and everything else will probably gravitate toward YouTube over time. Hmm. So, <clears throat> you know, we've got so many cryptids here in the U.S. Um, and, and I know it really relies on on budget for you guys to go to these places and do the research but is is there any want for you guys to go outside of the u.s you know canada even south america or europe or anything like that yeah i mean so canada definitely we were we were scheduled to make a movie called on the trail of bigfoot the origin uh which was supposed to be um we chartered a boat and the boat was supposed to take us up the Canadian coast. And we were, we were going to be like camping inland on all these uh, native reservations and like all this, we had, it was going to be nuts. Um, And that fell apart because of COVID Um, that was supposed to be the movie. Actually the movie that on the trail of Bigfoot, the journey is was supposed to be on the trail of Bigfoot, the origin. Um, So Canada's definitely, I mean, we're going to Alaska, which is obviously still the United States, but we're going to Alaska. Um, If I had the budget, we would do it. Um, Certainly like at some point we have to touch on Loch Ness. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, you know, Ogopogo is a favorite of mine. I mean, I'd love to make some sort of like Lake monster anthology movie. The problem is the audience for it just doesn't exist. Like we made a, a champ a lake monster movie and it you know it just wasn't supported like it should have been i think by the, by the audience numbers we have an uphill battle too because you know i think like travel channel can make a an ogopogo documentary and throw it out and and they've got a built-in audience of millions our built-in audience is thousands and then the movies find an audience of millions over time Mm -hmm. so that's the big difference and so when something like if we went and made like an international lake monster movie which sounds pretty great honestly um (laughs) that we would have to be willing to eat that money for a long time you know until until it could make its budget back and might not ever get into profit but um I would love to, I'd love to do something about like the beast of uh, Jevedon and, you know, like there's, there's a lot of stuff internationally, the Yaren I'd kill to go to China and look for the Yaren, you know, but um, hmm. I don't know if it'll happen or not. It's, it's so right. expensive. Like the travel costs are what, what would kill us if, uh, unless we just kept it to a crew of like three or four people. And then what's the right. fun of that? Right. <laughs> <laughs> then you got everyone doing multiple jobs. Yeah. Could be yeah well, we do that anyway. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, so you're making roughly three films a year um, and you're talking about getting into YouTube. Uh, so how long does it typically take you to complete a project from pre-production all the way through post and even into distribution? Well, so yeah, we're always working on multiple projects at, at a time. So this year has been crazy because we made, we'll have made five movies. We'll have released six in 2021 when it's all done oh. by December, but we've made five, which is just, I mean, it was honestly chaos um, okay. for much of the year. So, so, you know, if I jumped back to a normal year, like 2020 uh, in that case, you know, we were filming something like uh, the Mark of the Bell, Witch, 
as we were finishing up post-production on the Mothman legacy um, and all those things kind of blend together. We were shooting on the trail of UFOs, dark sky, as we were wrapping up post-production on the Mark of the Bell Witch. So it's always, you're always going one right into the next one, right into the next. And a lot of time they're all overlapping. So I might be filming something this year. There was not a month where we weren't editing something. Um, and some of that's because we're doing YouTube now. And, and so there's always work going on here at the offices on, on, on that stuff. Um, but yeah, last year was, was really crazy. I would say a typical production time is in the neighborhood of like four months. Um, but you got to, you know, five days, five, six days to shoot something. Uh, and then uh, maybe six to eight weeks to edit it. Um, but some, you know, sometimes we'll spend more time on the edit. Sometimes we'll spend less time. Rougarou was actually edited in four weeks. Uh, on the trail of UFOs, Dark Sky was edited in six. And um, on the trail of Bigfoot, the discovery was edited in like five and a half. Um, so we, you know, there's, but on the trail of the Lake Michigan Mothman, which comes out in December, that one was more of like a three month edit. So this year, everything, everything was done at a pretty brisk pace but there were films on the trail of bigfoot the journey was a three-month edit you know so it just depends i guess the, the we we with the legend movies like mothman legacy or mark of the bell witch or rougarou uh we'll spend five days shooting the dock and then usually three to four days shooting the recreations and then the edit is usually done in six to eight weeks um Movies like Bell Witch or Momo might have a considerably longer recreation shoot, depending on how intensive the recreations are. Like Momo, 50% of that movie was recreation. So we spent, you know, 10 to 12 days shooting the recreations as opposed to like five days on the dock. Um, the Mark of the Bell Witch we shot over, I want to say five days, you know, with the recreations. And but then Rougarou was three, so it, oh. it I, some of it depends on how intensive we're getting with the recreations. We're making a Jersey Devil movie, um, in 2022, uh, and that right now we have a full feature length script, um, and it will meld with a documentary with documentary portions, but it's mostly a narrative horror movie. Oh, that's awesome, yeah. Hmm. Do you tend to have a lot more horror aspects to the recreations than more of the, the um, shouldn't say facts, but more trying to get that scare from people? Oh, I, it depends. If we're, if we can say something in, in really pushing the horror vibe, if we're saying something about storytelling, like Momo, like Momo, we're, we're taking real events and dramatically heightening them because we're commenting on the, the ways in which fiction can be informed by reality and vice versa. And hmm. so, so if we're, if we're doing something like that, then yes, it's totally, as long as we have a, a, a reason for doing it. But I think for the most part, when it comes to the recreations, we're trying to take what the witnesses tell us and then put that on screen in the most real way, you know, that we can. Um, I don't love horror as a genre, actually. It's probably my okay. least favorite genre. So it's not something that comes natural to me. If like, if 
people ask me which of our movies is my favorite like i mean i have i have a lot of favorites but my favorite right now is on the trail of bigfoot the journey because it's all the stuff i love it's like travel and you know walking around in the woods at night and seeing new places um but uh, but in terms of like what is my style terror in the skies is my style it's like the most emo movie we have and i was an emo kid growing up so like it's it's like you know it begins with this prologue that is like totally informed by my love of steven spielberg in the 1980s and and uh and it's a very like heartfelt movie and that's because that's like that's the kind of stuff that i guess speaks more to what my my style my personal style is um you know if i when it comes to the jersey devil it's a movie that is going to play with real events that happened but the main storyline of the narrative horror movie is not real and and it will be obvious you know when you're watching the movie we're taking real events and then adding fictional events on top of them so the audience will still learn the history of the jersey devil but they're doing it through a fictional story so um and some of that is just honestly what it comes down to is we make uh this the jersey devil well the the rigaroo movie is our what our 12th is it our 12th i think it's our three three six nine twelve it's like our 12th legend movie so that's you know Ruguru was so this will be our 14th at some point you got to start playing around with the storytelling the type of storytelling oh, you're yeah. doing or, or it just starts to feel like you're just making the same movie over and over and people accuse us of doing that anyway but like uh <laughs> but like we you know a lot of it comes down to we're just trying to keep things interesting for ourselves right right yeah i mean you got to keep experimenting and you never know because eventually you're going to hit a stride that's just going to take you up another notch you know yeah yeah all right seth well we are getting close to the end of the show so i wanted to give you a chance to tell everybody where they can find you uh small town monsters the mic's all yours oh cool yeah yeah uh smalltownmonsters.com is where you can find us. We are on YouTube. Uh, just look up Small Town Monsters and subscribe. You can become a channel member. Channel members get like the 4K ad-free versions of all the stuff that we're putting up on there. Um, and uh, the Bigfoot Project, which is the series we were making when I saw Bigfoot, that uh, first episode launches tomorrow for channel members and then uh, the week after for everybody else. So that'll be up on there real quick. And then we have a series running on there called beyond the trail right now. That's really fun too. They're basically these movies, uh, feature length movies, uh, that Alexander Petikov and Eli Watson make around the country. Um, those are really exciting. We have on the trail of Bigfoot, the discovery coming out on the 16th, I think the date is, um, and then at the beginning of December on the trail of the Lake Michigan Mothman comes out and that will close out our roster for the year. February 2nd, we will launch our next Kickstarter to fund next year's movie. So if you're interested in getting your name in the credits and like all sorts of fun rewards, that's the best way to do that. Cool. Sounds good. All right, Seth Breedlove, thank you for being on Paratruth Radio. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. All right, folks, that was Seth Breedlove. Make sure you check out uh, smalltownmonsters.com. We're going to take a quick break with Eric's random fact of the day, a quick commercial, and we will be right back with Paratruth Radio. Now, Eric's random fact of the day. 
We have all heard of the ten plagues of Egypt, as it is written in the Bible. However, the eighth plague, the plague of locusts, is probably the least fearsome of them all, especially for the people of America. However, did you know that a desert locust swarm can be 460 square miles in size? Believe it or not, this size swarm is capable of eating 423 million pounds of plants in a single day, which would easily send a country into deep famine. Ever heard of Stoicism? Chances are, if you have, you've heard of Stoicism with a lowercase s and not Stoicism with an uppercase s. Lone wolves, no emotions, antisocial behavior, cold, indifference, all that is Stoicism with a lowercase s. Stoicism with an uppercase s is the ancient Greek philosophy and virtue ethics framework that centers on service to the cosmopolis, to include your family, friends, community, and planet, and the development of a good moral character. My name is Tanner Campbell, and I'm the host of Practical Stoicism, a three times a week podcast teaching Stoic principles and concepts to anyone interested through the exploration of texts and deep dives into various moral topics. You can find Practical Stoicism where you're already listening to podcasts by searching for Practical Stoicism or by going to stoicismpod.com. I invite you to give it a listen today. You just might like it. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Paratruth Radio. My name is Eric. And I'm Justin. And we just got off the line with Seth Breedlove. He's a documentary filmmaker, and his film production company is called Small Town Monsters. They tell various tales of all kinds of cryptids around America. And of course, as you heard him say, we are hoping maybe he'll expand internationally at some point which would be pretty cool uh there's their work is really fun it's engaging uh, if you guys want to learn more about some of these cryptids you, uh, you know, he told you where to find them you can go to smalltownmonsters.com find them on facebook and all that kind of stuff they got they can you can buy the dvds and t-shirts and all that kind of stuff um so i definitely recommend you guys check them out <clears throat> i think it's kind of fun to you know it, it's rare i should say that we get uh someone from a different medium other than books like authors right we normally have right. on or other podcasts um and you know i mean we've talked about it plenty of times over the last couple of months regarding getting him on uh being that i'm a filmmaker and looking into starting some of these documentaries that we have been working on um that i'm trying to get into edit so it, it's kind of fun just seeing where they started and where they're going um and actually some of the things you said is actually interesting and gonna have to keep that in mind especially in terms of raising money and how you how they've been using that throughout the year instead of like a lot of filmmakers that i know are raising money for each particular project that they do right which can right. be very difficult because people are like well we just gave you money for this why am i gonna give you money for this too right. uh, so seeing that he kind of bring gets a lump sum or shoots for a lump sum at the beginning and then spreads that out is cool and being that he's an independent uh film filmmaker you know me and i've said this plenty of times uh, I don't know if I said it much on air. I don't know if I said it to you, but I try to make the highest quality content that I can at the lowest possible budget. 
that right. I can, right? right. Uh, the less money you can spend, the better, because then you can have that extra backing uh, to help with distribution or for future projects. So I'm always a fan of saving money and it sounds like that's what they're doing. Uh, but yeah, I get, you know, I get how it can be difficult, especially it's crazy to me that he's producing three films a year plus doing typically stuff. typically right. i'm just like whoa that's pfft. shot five this well, year that's crazy well he, he was saying six by the end of the year so and typically i think he said four is is what's usual for a small production company is that sound right <laughs> i think that's what part. he is i think <laughs> he said uh <laughs> For a small the, town production, it's usually well, for, four for films them, for yeah, the year. For them, in general, uh, well, most small production companies, um, they're not typically making documentaries or films. They're doing commercials well, right. and business-related stuff. Uh, so, you know, I, I think most independents are maybe shooting, if they're shooting movies at all, they're maybe sticking to around one to two movies per year. Uh, the independent uh studios that i know they typically shoot for one to two every two years but they're also investing a ton of money into it like we're talking two hundred thousand and above uh, so there's a lot of there's just a lot going into it and they take their time uh and then of course the actual process of raising that money can take a while it's not always just you know you get a couple of months and then you put it forward you know this could be years in the making and development depending on what you're shooting um but yeah well the one thing that i i love that he brought up was when he was talking i you know i'd asked him if he was more or less of a believer than uh after you know before he started doing the documentaries right. and he mentioned that he literally saw a bigfoot and it made him a believer again and i think that's one of the biggest things with any of these things that we talk about here on Pure Truth Radio, any other paranormal podcast, any uh, paranormal TV show, if you're watching a, a documentary on it, if you're watching a TV show on it, if you're listening to a podcast or a radio show on it, it's harder to say you're as close to a 100% believer than when un, until you actually experience it or, or see something. Um, and you and I have seen different things, felt different things over the years. Um, and I think both you and I are still kind of on the fence about a lot of these things that we sure. talk about. Well, I think, um, at least in the ter- in, in the case of something like this, like cryptids or ghosts, for example, um, I think the belief kind of fluctuates depending on the season. Um, and season mean, meaning just a you know, particular amount right. of time, not an actual season, but you know, for me, it's like, Oh, I believe in ghosts or I believe in cryptids. And then there's this kind of a law where I'm like, eh, I don't know if I do actually, right. but then yeah. something happens. It's like, Oh, maybe I, I, I do actually. Believe. And not to mention like there's times where you see something, you witness something, but then you don't witness it for several months, several years. And you start doubting yourself. Did you really see what you thought you saw? You know, and that might be something that Seth will even go through. You know, he said he only saw a blip of, of the Bigfoot, but he's confident, 99%, uh, I think he said. But there might be a moment where if he doesn't see another Bigfoot, he might start to question, well, was it just a shadow? Was it just my eyes playing a trick on me? You know, and then he'll start to question it until 
either A, he's actually just, you know, puts it in his mind, like, oh, no, I really did see it, or something else happens that helps solidify the past experience that he had, uh, which I think is what happens with a lot of um, people in the paranormal community is you witness one thing and you kind of have these doubts until it's solidified. Uh, and you only need that to happen really twice before you realize, yeah, that's probably real. Right. I completely drew a blank on where I was about to go with stuff. So, um, <laughs> um, it, it is, it was kind of cool to like, like you were talking about, get somebody on who can talk about his process because we are, are working on doing like many documentaries every time that we get together and, and go to, to do investigations and stuff. Um, was there anything that shocked you about his process compared to your own doing fictional work? Uh, fictional work? Well, your, your horror movies. Right. Well, I mean... I mean, he does documentaries, you do fictional, but right. is there anything that was seemed different or, or way off in comparison to doing like horror or, or sci-fi compared to documentary work? I mean, not particularly this the script setup is different um because the 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 script if you're doing a script for a documentary you're, you're pretty much putting uh you're basically listing like locations who you have in that location that you're filming what are they talking you don't know what they're going to say it's an interview so interview right blank spaces and maybe what the narrator what the narrator's saying then you have various images of what you're going to be placing and that that's why i i wasn't really surprised when he said that he kind of you know, put everything for the Rougarou uh, into the edit and was piecing it together and realized like what the heck's happening. And they had to go back and write um, to figure it out. And that's sometimes what happens with documentaries. You go out, you film everything. You have an idea of what you want to film. You know, you know, the interviews, you know, what kind of B-roll you want. And then you come and you find your story in the edit You piece it together and you mix it up and, you know, you throw some stuff out, you add some stuff and your story just kind of evolves with a fictional screenplay um or you know a, a narrative film you're telling the whole story from beginning to end you're you know you're developing these characters and what they're going through what they're saying uh the camera angles aren't usually there that's something that a whole nother department handles in production um so the, i think really the biggest difference is when you're writing a a narrative film compared to a documentary film is that the narrative film is fleshed out through and through when it goes into production there's nothing really to add or take away unless the director makes a creative decision a documentary you kind of have a loose idea of what it is you want to film and you might add you might take away but you end up finding your story in the post uh, edit and i can't tell you how many times i've talked to documentary uh filmmakers who have who've done that they're like oh i went into this documentary planning to shoot it this way and then i came out with a completely different story on the other end didn't expect it to happen, but that's what happens. Because um, you just never know which way the story is going to go based on the interviews and what you're learning. You know, you might right. set out to to prove the existence of a creature, only to find out that there's more evidence against that creature's existence. You know, so in this case, it's no longer a documentary of a creature existing, but a documentary of a creature that doesn't actually exist. Right. Well, and I I like that's why we've kind of started getting the the feet on the ground 
type investigations on overdoing the research and just doing the podcast because at some point just doing the the research for the podcast can get a little mundane and boring whereas doing we have of course have not done interviews for for the documentaries that we've kind of shot so far but every time we do an interview for a pod for the podcast we always have people tell us you know i've never been asked that before so i think that really proves that we are really good um forward thinkers thinking ahead to say hey look you know that's great that all of this stuff has been told before but what about this and i think that we could actually do very well you know doing those interviews as well like that sure well i mean 14 years of podcasting well, just <laughs> right it's not natural <laughs> it just kind of right. happens over time right all right so that is pretty much all we've got this week for uh seth Brelove and the small town monsters um it was definitely a very interesting interview and i i'm really glad we were able to get him on because we ended up having to cancel on him last minute because of some work stuff for myself um but overall i i loved having him on i i think he gave us a lot of information to, to think about as independent people because i self-publish you're an independent filmmaker so it's something to really think about as we move forward with doing the mini documentaries and everything um next week we are going to be having on Rich Newman, and he wrote the book Passport to the Paranormal. So we're going to be, that's going to be our, our Thanksgiving episode, even though it's not anything about Thanksgiving this year, but I think we've kind of ran that course of trying to figure out Thanksgiving paranormal stuff. Yeah, there, there's just not enough to even bother trying anymore. But uh, for for all of you veterans out there, uh, happy Blade Veterans Day. Um, thank you for, for serving and protecting our country and giving Eric and I the opportunity to be able to do something like this because there are a lot of countries out there where you cannot have the freedom that we do here to do the podcasts. So until next week, folks, where you will find us same time, same channel. My name is Justin. And I'm Eric. Remember the talents that have inspired us. Whoa, 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 cut. Oh, come on. It wasn't come that on. bad. It's a bit dramatic. Let's just tell them about the show, guys. We are the Canned Air Podcast. Join us weekly for a comedic trip through pop culture. 
We also welcome some cool comic creators, as well as some of the voice and screen actors that help shape your childhood. Find us on cannedairpodcast.com and on the Evergreen Podcast Network.